project was, uh, was first uh, started back in July 2011, and uh, we operated as a ministry under Toowoomba City Church for uh, quite a while. Actually, it wasn't until uh, July 2014 that we actually went independent, we had our own constitution, and um, what kind of came with that is all of a sudden Peter realised that he needed to have a lot of information and knowledge about HR, which he didn't have. Uh, human resources. How do you manage staff? All of a sudden, you, you've got staff. I mean, I've, I've got a bunch of staff, and not only do we uh, do we need to manage those and help those to do their their job well and to do what God's called them to, but also you've got staff that you need to think about pay and conditions. Um, and I had never, prior to this church, I've ne- never had to manage people before in this kind of context. And uh, I tell you, those people who do do it know that managing staff and awards and conditions and all the rest can be a significant minefield. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like there are just some serious legal experts out there that look after uh, that side of things. And some of you are sitting there as employees and you're just kind of going, yeah, I've been dotted by my employer. And you just go, yeah, it is, it is a real minefield. Um, you know, the bottom line is it's actually a very difficult area. And, and it kind of makes sense that there's lots of rules about it. Is, is anyone with me on that? Because you can just get, all of us probably know at some level, it can get messy really, really quickly when there's no rules or people are misunderstanding what's going on. Rules, in a sense, undergird people so that they can get on and do their job. You know, the rules, in a sense, are about making sure the workers don't get exploited um, and that the employee gets about doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. So I've become very familiar with the Fair Work website, (laughs) okay? Uh, There's a whole kind of website dedicated to uh, this side of things. Listen to the stated objectives of the Fair Work website. We want to support Australian workplaces so that they can be compliant, productive and inclusive. Our vision is that the community values the work that we do. To be an effective and efficient workplace regulator, we must be responsive to the evolving needs and expectations of the Australian government and the community. We will focus on increasing productivity by reducing the burden of regulation and helping businesses find more productive ways of working. We will support employment participation through addressing the barriers to employment and helping businesses to do the right thing. So you could just read that just before you go to bed at night and it might actually help you to go to sleep. But they, they actually are quite helpful. Fair work, actually, we find them very, very helpful. Um, and it's, it's a helpful kind of government initiative, right? But here's the bottom line. You, you get a sense of what they're on about and, and the difficulty of employers and employees or bosses and, and workers. You know, and there's... there's uh, we're all pretty well versed. I mean, workers have rights, <laughs> OK? We have rights and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having rights. I think that's a good thing, right? Um, but workers have rights and, and, and this whole kind of area just needs to be handled really carefully. You see, systems, I think the purpose of systems, systems is to help people focus on the main thing. So let me ask you a question at this point. How would you work, like literally in practice, how would you work if you didn't have any rights? How would you go? If you didn't have any rights in the workplace, what would it change for you? What if you didn't have any pay or anything? Like, you didn't have any 
rights at all, how would you go with working? Today we're actually going to look at the uh, household rules that Paul kind of puts in place for slaves. And, and it's not exactly the same as, as workers in our day, so there's substantial overlap, but it's not exactly the same. So I just want to have a quick look at slaves in the Greco-Roman era. Estimates are that 85 to 90% of the inhabitants of Rome and the peninsula Italy were slaves or of slave origins. Think about that. This is the historical setting in which Paul says this. 85 to 90% were slaves. Aristotle, the philosopher, called slaves human tools. That's what he called them. They were human tools. Jewish slaves had been brought to Rome, sorry, brought to Rome by the tens of thousands from the time of Pompey's conquest until the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So some of you go, well, what were the rights of slaves? That's an interesting question. Let me tell you some rights of slaves. They could get married. They could have children, but their children often became the property of the owner. And, and arguably, the largest source of slaves was reproduction by married slaves. Slaves actually had more rights than that. They could accumulate money on their own, and if they got enough money, they could actually purchase their own freedom, or they'd have a nest egg, so to speak, for when they did actually get free. They were, another right was that they were the extended family of the owner and they could worship with the family. Now there was probably other rights but that sums up most of them. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing but we're not getting into there's a 30 minute lunch break and then a 15 minute morning tea. Do you get what I'm saying? Like we're not even getting into that kind of detail. It's, it's much more of a global sense of rights. But notice this from uh, Cicero. He was a famous Roman statesman and orator of the first century. He said that a slave could expect freedom in seven years, but in any case, under Roman law, persons in slavery could expect to be set free at least by the time they reached aged 30. All right? So you get a bit of an idea here that slavery is it's not like probably what we think of when we think of American slavery, all right, and what they waged war over. It's, it's like a seven-year seven deal. You know, slaves at the end of the day were kind of farm workers, semi-skilled labourers, they were artisans, they were workers in crafts, architects, physicians, administrators, philosophers, writers, teachers. Like they were all, that's kind of who slaves were. It wasn't just all the un, unskilled, if, if you had that in your mind, that the unskilled people were the slaves. Frequently they worked for industrial or building corporations for daily wages that were then paid in part, about two-thirds, to their owners. All right? But normally the slave didn't actually get any of that money. It became a little bit of a nest egg. Listen to uh, this. This is from the introduction to the ESV um, Bible. In New Testament times, a doulos is often best described as a bond servant. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound on a contract to serve his master for seven years, except for those in Caesar's household in Rome who were contracted for 14 years. When the contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved by the master and officially declared a freedman. The ESV usage thus seeks to express the most fitting nuance and meaning in each context where absolute ownership 
ownership by a master is envisaged, slave is used. Where a more limited form of servitude is in view, bond servant is used. Where the context indicates a wider range of freedom, servant is preferred. Now, why have I read this out to you? Because there's a lot of different opinions about how the Greek word doulos should actually be interpreted and what the nature of a slave actually is. I think, for the sake of today, I think the easiest way for us to go is to say that a slave was in some sense a long-term kind of contracted employee that didn't get paid as they went and didn't really have that many rights. And then at the end of that time, they would actually be freed, they'd have a little bit of a nest egg. So I want to suggest this morning that there's a fair bit of overlap in the instructions that Paul gives to slaves and the instructions that Paul would give to workers who work for a boss. Is everyone with me on that? So hopefully that just makes a little bit of sense. Would you uh, open your Bibles with me? We're going to go to uh, Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 9. Ephesians 6, five to 9. Love for you to turn there. Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 9, bond servants. Now, what's interesting is most translations outside of the ESV actually say slaves, okay? So wherever it says bond servants, you could read slaves as well. The NIV does it. There's a bunch of them that are translated as slaves. So that's part of that toing and froing about exactly uh, what Paul's kind of saying here. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. All right, let's get into it. Here's the first one. Honour and respect your boss. Let's just get straight into it. Honour and respect your boss. I mean, go back to Ephesians 6 there. You should have it right in front of you. What are you meant to do with your, your boss? Well, you're meant to obey them. And obey them with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean you've got to cower in fear at them, but it's like be careful about the way that you work for them. Don't make mistakes. Don't be a klutz, all right? Just care about that. Care about the fact that you just want to get things right. What else do you have to do? With a sincere heart. Like, obey them with a sincere heart. Don't be duplicitous or two-faced in the way that you actually serve your boss. Don't be someone who operates well when the boss is watching. (laughs) All right? Isn't that there in Ephesians 6? All right? Don't just do what you're supposed to do when you're being watched. I mean, you think about it in the context of slaves, that would be way more tempting because they're not really getting any pay at the end of the fortnight or the end of the year. It might be seven years, it could be 14. I mean, imagine the pressure there to just slack off. I mean, that that would kind of happen in Australia, right? We'd just kind of go, oh, I'm not getting anything out of it, so why bother? All right? Paul's just going, doesn't matter whether you're getting anything out of it or not. Do your best. Obey your boss. I mean, what would you do if you knew that no one would see you and no one would find out? Remember the old philosophical question, um, if a tree falls down in the forest and there is no one around to hear the noise, then does it make a sound? 
Has anyone ever heard that one before? The answer is yes, it does. All right? Because God's everywhere and he sees everything and he knows everything. All right? So here's the bottom line. At your work, if you slack off, you know what? God sees all of that. Do you know the scripture that my, uh, my mum used to quote to me, which used to send chills up my spine every time, was this one, be sure your sins will find you out. And do you know what she was saying? I may not see it, but God always sees it. He always sees it. God is everywhere. He always hears. There's no need to put on an act because he always sees what you're doing. He sees the good things that you do in secret and he sees the slack things that you don't really engage with the way that you need to. You don't have to try and be the golden child at the right times. You just have to do what God asks you to do consistently. When the cat is away... The mice play. <laughs> and that happens in the workplace, doesn't it? All of a sudden, people get real efficient when the boss walks in the room. So, whoops, what are we supposed to be doing again? Like, why? Why? Like, here's the thing. Like, Paul's actually saying, your ultimate master here is not actually your boss. Your ultimate master is Jesus, and he's always in the room. Now, some of you are going, Pete, this is a bit... It's a bit harsh, right? Can you just, just ease up a little bit? Well, listen, here's the thing. Let me just make it a little bit worse before it gets better. Work existed before sin did. Okay? Work existed before sin did. So if you think that heaven's going to be sitting on a banana lounge, sipping pina colada or some non-alcoholic drink, there's probably going to be work up there. Just saying. Some of you are going, oh, so you know I don't want to go there. Well, you don't want to go to the other place, right? That's worse. But God has work for us to do, right? I mean, Genesis 1 is really clear that God gives dominion to Adam and Eve and they're meant to go out and work and actually do something good and productive and bring something good out of their authority and their power, just like God did in Genesis 1. You know this, right? God exercised his power and his authority in Genesis 1 and it brought about everything that was good. And then God says to Adam and Eve, you're in my image. Why don't you now go out and exercise your power and your authority and do something good? God has work for us to do, doesn't he? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's working on us and he's made us to do good works. But here's the thing. Who knows that work is hard? It's really hard sometimes. And it's really, can be, it can get really frustrating and difficult. And I just want to let you know, part of the reason for that is sin. I mean, Genesis 3, it's pretty clear, like, Adam's going to go out and he's going to tend to the soil now and try and grow stuff. And what's going to happen when he tries to grow stuff? What else is going to grow? Weeds. All right? Weeds are going to grow. What's that? I was just wrecking his patch. His veggie patch. Or whatever it is. Or his paddock just wrecks the paddock, right? Because now we've got weeds in there. That's what sin does. Sin just gets in and it makes your job harder than it's supposed to be and makes some parts of it really frustrating sometimes. Another reason why work can be really hard is bosses. Who knows it's good to have a good boss? I read an article in uh, Forbes magazine, like online this morning, and... um, This article was uh, quoting some research that said people don't leave 
um, their job because of stress, they leave their job because of bad bosses. That's, that's kind of why it actually happens. It's good to have a good boss who releases you, but sometimes there's bosses that are really hard to work with. I'm trying not to look at Haley at this point in time. Also, they're just going, amen, brother, you just keep preaching that one. So let me ask you a question. Do you respect your boss? Listen to this from 1 Peter 2.18. This is like crazy painful when you think about the implications of this if you're working under a difficult boss. 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Listen to this. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You just go... Yeah, I shouldn't have come to church. <laughs> well, that makes it harder, right? I mean, there's probably a tendency that we could just kind of slip a little bit in the way that we're serving our boss anyway. If you've got a bad boss, all of a sudden, those moments when the boss is not around can become some rich moments for getting back at him, right? It's like, I'm not doing anything. The way he treats me or the way she treats me. Well, I want to say to you this morning there's no segregation in Paul's thought and the reason why there's no segregation in Paul's thought is because Jesus is the ultimate one that everyone ought to be serving there's not work and church there's everything (laughs) and Jesus is the boss over everything so if you go back to Ephesians 6 there let me just uh, find it for you Ephesians 6, look at what it says here. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would who? Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of who? Okay, here's the deal. Jesus is your boss. Your boss is a mini boss. All right? So whatever you do, you're actually not ultimately doing it for your mini boss, you're doing it for the big boss. So, you know what that means? That means you are God's auto electrician. You are God's teacher, not teaching him, but teaching in a school. You are a mother that ultimately serves him. You are his woolies worker that packs the shelves. Whatever is your profession, you're not ultimately doing that for yourself or for your family, or for your boss, or your employer, you're doing it for Jesus. All right? And he straddles everything. You are always serving to please God. I mentioned this to the kids last week, you know. We need to look through our boss to see Jesus. And sometimes your boss will be like Jesus, and sometimes they won't be. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you are serving Jesus at your work. Now, here's the thing. If you've got a difficult boss, this uh, should actually be quite comforting to you because the ultimate reality in your life is not the hell of whatever your boss is creating at work. It's actually Jesus. It means that when you have hard things that are going on in your workplace, you can see through them and serve Jesus in the midst of that. Now, I'm not for a second saying that it's easy to serve a bad boss. It doesn't mean it's not important. And the reason why it's important is because Jesus 
is the one that you're ultimately serving. Now, you don't have to hang around with a bad boss, all right? You got more freedoms than the slaves had back then, but you do need to hang around wherever you feel God wants you to be. And if God wants you to hang around and stay with the bad boss, then you need to find a way to serve them and honour them and respect them in spite of their badness. In the, um, the early years of my teaching career, I didn't agree with a whole bunch of decisions that the principal and the deputies were making in the school I was at. All right? I thought that a bit dumb. Now, they made a lot of good decisions, but there were some decisions I thought weren't good decisions. Now, do you know what I did? This whole thing just made so much sense to me and really helped me. It's like, Peter, your ultimate person that you're answering to is Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you can be a rebel, all right? So Jesus wouldn't do it the way that you're doing it, so I'm just going to do my own thing now and I'm going to punish you. It's the discipline of the Lord. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You're not really... You're smiling like you know what I'm talking about. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wait till you hear the mafia one. Here's the thing, you know where I got to is I just went, I will do everything that my bosses ask me to do, but I'm going to see everything, all of that as a, just as a smaller kind of segment or piece of the whole thing that God's calling me to in this school. All right? And I think you have to do that with any job. Do you know why? Because your job description does not cover all of the things that God wants to do with you in your workplace. It doesn't actually cover the full calling that God has for you in your particular workplace. Are you with me on that? It just doesn't, all right? Because it's probably not in your job description that other people need to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But that would be something that God would have on his job description for you in that workplace. You with me? So let's, let's learn to look through our bosses in our service ultimately to Christ. That is ultimate reality. And surprise, surprise, you'll, you'll see this all over the scriptures. So Colossians 3, 23 to 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Excuse me, Colossians 3, 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's my encouragement to you. If you don't have a, an expansive vision about what you're doing at your employer, at your workplace, you seem to spend a bit of time working that out, all right? Because it isn't photocopying stuff, it isn't, it isn't writing documents, it isn't fixing cars. Like, that's not the ultimate purpose of your call. It's not to do that so that you get enough money to feed your family. You're there on a mission, all right? And part of that fits in with your skills and your abilities and your experience, but you need to make sure you get a big vision. So here's the thing. If you've got a bad boss, let me wrap this up. Don't, like this passage I just read from First Peter before, just really, it really is countercultural in Australia. <laughs> All right? Because we just go, yeah, cool. So he's Goliath, I'm David, I'm taking this guy down. All right? That's what I'm doing. It's kind of like that rebel kind of thing in Australian culture. It's like, yeah, I can be on my own. I'm just going to set him straight. That's what I'm going to do. I'll set her straight. So here's the thing. If you've got 
a bad boss, don't turn it into a rebel thing. As I said before, you don't have to be there unless God wants you there. Don't slack off and try to get them and teach them something. Don't take longer lunches than you're supposed to have because they're a bad boss. Don't lose interest. Do what Paul says. Stay upbeat, stay engaged, give all of your heart to it in service to Jesus ultimately. If God wants to move you somewhere, be prepared for that. But if you stay and you're under a bad boss and that's where God wants you to be, learn how to respect and honour your boss in the middle of that. All right. Let me just say one more thing before I get to this next point. Do you notice in that scripture there, in Ephesians 6, some of you go, man, this, it's all a bit hard. Well, this is good news here, right? Look at verse 7 there. Actually, verse 8. Well, we'll go to verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Listen to this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Here's the a, here's a good news. God will reward you for the good stuff that you do at work. Isn't that good? Like you're in a bad situation with a bad boss and maybe you have a good, good boss and it's like God's going, I'm going to reward you for whatever good that you do at work. And you just go, well, I'm pretty sure that's called pay. And he goes, no, every time you get about doing good stuff at your work, I'm going to reward you for that. Isn't that cool? I thought I was just going to get enough food, enough money to put food on the table. Now, Colossians 3.23, I read it before. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You get a reward and God is not a stingy giver. Who knows that? It's just not. And you know what? This is an all play. It's not just for slaves. It's like for everyone. It's like any time you do something good, God's going, yeah, I've got a gift for you. I've got something sweet for you. I'm going to store it up for you. So here's the thing. Go to work. Serve Jesus. Find all the good things that you can do. And then Jesus will reward you for that. Does that sound like a good plan? Because that's better than pay. Way better than pay. So don't be lame in your service. There was a papyri from AD 157. True story. Where... Uh, the, the owner, I think it is, uh, freed five slaves. You know why they freed these five slaves? This is back from AD 157. This is what it said, because of their goodwill and affection. How much more should we be that at work, right? Shouldn't people just, shouldn't our bosses be going, whoa, man. And not because you want to get something out of it. You go to that Forbes magazine article about bad bosses... It's like so that you can progress your career. It's like, no, we're, we're doing better than that. It's not just about career progression. Jesus lives and rules in my workplace and I serve him in the middle of that. And he is someone who serves. Number two, be a good boss. Ephesians 6 verse 9. Listen to this encouragement to the bosses. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven that there's no partiality with him. Did you know that uh, pagan slave owners were often vicious? A slave didn't have any legal redress. They couldn't actually come back for anything that was unjust. They couldn't do anything about it. Seneca actually said, uh, all slaves are enemies. (laughs) 
That's what he said. Many masters were tyrants and abusive. They were known for beatings, sexual harassment. They would sell miles away from their loved ones. Did you see how dramatic this statement by Paul is? You know what he's saying? I think what he's saying is basically the masters and bosses, like be a boss that makes it easy for people to respect and honour you and to work with all of their heart in the workplace. And Paul's kind of saying here, don't use fear anymore. You know, and again, if you were here last week, we're back to this whole thing about power and authority and not abusing power and authority, but using it for good ends. Treat your employees as you'd like to be treated. You know, fear was a, a well-known control measure for slaves and they believed that fear would produce greater loyalty. Who here knows that fear is actually a really good motivator in one sense? But in another sense, it's just a terrible motivator. It's like, really? You want all your people to be serving you because they're scared of you or they're scared of what's going to happen to their job? See, masters need to treat their slaves and bosses need to treat their employees as though the boss is under the authority of Jesus because they actually are by treating people kindly and fairly. And you notice there in, uh, in verse 9 there, it says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And this bit, and that, that there is no partiality with him. Do you know what the, uh, the understanding of that, that that Greek word is? The understanding of that Greek word uh, to do with favouritism there is the notion of lifting up someone's face or looking to see who someone is before you decide how to treat them. That's what it is. Now here's the thing, a quick word to the bosses here. You don't get any special treatment if you're a boss. God does not give you any special treatment. He does not lift up your face and go, oh, you're a boss. I'm going to treat you differently to your workers. It doesn't work like that. There's no favoritism. And the, the thing is, if you're a boss, you're probably used to people being at your beck and call and doing the things that you ask them to do. You're probably used to having some favoritism, in inverted commas. You don't get that with Jesus. So do your job well bosses and make it easy for your employer your employees to serve you wholeheartedly treat them the way you would want to be treated all right let me finish here slavery and the gospel let me read you the uh, starting verses of a few books in the bible Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Christ... Sorry, wrong one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Christ Jesus. James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.6, 6. look at it right in front of you right now. <laughs> We are bond servants, in most translations, slaves of Christ. The way a slave was meant to serve was to be devoted to another to the disregard of their own interests, the things they wanted to do. Now, 
How often do you hear this coming out of uh, contemporary Christian ministries? Come to Jesus and be his slave. Maybe some of you here today, you don't even know Jesus, right? And we're just going, yeah, cool. So you come to Jesus, you get to be his slave. You know, we tend to hear a lot of stuff in Christendom about freedom, about freeing yourself. I mean, we hear a lot of, in culture about freeing yourself. You go to the self-help section, what's that? Well, it's just a whole section telling you how to free yourself from the stuff that's a real pain in the neck for you. We get told, be autonomous, make your own decision. Get some self-fulfillment. Get what you want. See, we all want kind of freedom. And we have lots of movies about it, like Braveheart. And some people don't even know what I'm talking about when I say Braveheart. Freedom! (laughs) And here's the thing. We fight for it sometimes, don't we? We want freedom so much that we fight. And we actually... Here's the thing. God made you and he made me to worship all the time and we serve what we worship. So here's the bottom line. I'm just letting you know, letting you in on the secret if you don't know it, is that you will serve something your whole life, okay? If your definition of freedom is that I'm going to get somewhere where I don't have to serve anyone, you're just going to get enslaved to something else. That's just how it rolls. But we fight for freedom sometimes and we're sometimes sometimes we're like the gladiators of old are we not who would sometimes be granted freedom if they won enough fights this is some graffiti from a gladiator arena at Pompeii Pompeii was covered by volcanic ash from a nearby volcano in AD 70 and it's like one of the most stunning archaeological sites because so much of the stuff was preserved all right so you imagine someone's gone to watch a gladiator fight and they've scratched something on the wall or on a column about the gladiator fight that they actually went to and this is a literal photo of of the wall or wherever it was in Pompeii there listen to the commentary about it a Pompeian fan keeping statistics like a modern sports lover scratched this gladiator graffito Here's what it says. Severus Friedman, 13 wins, perished, i.e. he lost the fight in the worst possible way. Albanus Skiva Friedman, 19 wins, evidently including this one, conquered. You see, rarely did gladiators actually survive the matches that they engaged in, but some of the victorious ones would actually win their freedom by fighting. And I just want to say to you this morning, you're not going to get freedom by fighting for it. You're not a gladiator. You get given freedom. And the freedom that you get given, and it's a strange irony, comes by being a slave of Jesus. It's kind of like if I said to you, if you've got a goldfish bowl at home and you've got a goldfish in it, and I reached into it and I grabbed the fish and I stuck it on the kitchen bench... And I ask you, is that fish free now? What would you say? That's not. It's not free. The freest place that that fish can be is in the thing that it was made to be in. And you were made to be connected to Jesus and you will not have freedom by fighting for it. You'll have freedom when you're deeply connected to Jesus. And that means that he owns you. It means he owns you. 
And it's, it's a weird irony because you just kind of go, oh, does that mean I can't do whatever I want? Yeah, that's right. You're just going to do something way better. All right? God's going to have you doing his stuff and he's going to have you operating like him and you're going to have the most freedom that you've ever had. But you're not going to be a free man or a free woman in the way that we think of it. You'll belong to Jesus. You'll be his. And maybe the, maybe the worship team can come up just as I finish this last couple of minutes here. You know, when we go to the gospel, we end up with these beautiful themes that come out that are related to slavery. What about this one? Ephesians 1.17, in him we have what? Redemption through his blood. You know what redemption was? Was literally the setting free of a slave. And Paul kind of kind of harnesses the slave thing and he says, hey, listen, here's a deal. <laughs> Jesus does that to you. He frees you from your sin. Here's another word that connects in with the uh, slavery um, cultural reality back in the day that Paul uses. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Justification is the act of being judged and found not guilty. And Paul uses it to describe the Christian's freedom as the complete freedom a slave received when they got released. That's you. Christ has done that for you. It's like you're trapped, you're just in trouble and you can't get out of it and you're a slave to it. And Jesus comes along and he dies on the cross and he doesn't just say you're redeemed. You haven't just been liberated, but you've actually been set free. Paul harnesses that. And then this one. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And this is from God who, through Christ, what's that word? Reconcile us to himself. You know, if you're a slave, you weren't even really part of the community. You got to kind of be an honorary part of the community in your house. But you know, as soon as you get freed, you become part of the community. This is it's what happens when you come to Christ, isn't it? It's like you come to Christ and all of a sudden you've gone from being an outsider to being an insider. You become part of the family and you get all of this. I feel like a salesman. Preachers are, right? You get all of this and so much more by being a slave of Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to belong to him? You get to be more you than you've ever been. By belonging to Jesus. You don't get freedom by fighting for it and trying to snatch at it. You get given freedom and it's a freedom in relationship with Christ. Amen? We should sing about this. Okay, why don't you jump to your feet? I'm uh, just going to pray for you. Uh, some of you probably along the way have just gone, you don't know what my workplace is like. And I don't. But as bad or as good as your workplace is, who knows it just needs another light. Who knows that it needs some more salt, some more seasoning salt. So let's just be that. I mean, I think we've just got this awesome opportunity for, I don't know, 150 people to just go, yeah, this week I'm going to be a light in my workplace. And I'm not going to join in with the complaining and the negativity. I'm going to serve my boss as unto the Lord because I'm ultimately serving the Lord. But that's hard, all right? 
It is hard to do. And Jesus will help you. Let me pray for you. Now, Jesus, you, you know you walked on this earth for 33 years. And so you know that it's difficult to navigate living in a fallen world. That's a given. But you have promised the helper, the Holy Spirit would actually help us. And Jesus, in the midst of a fallen, broken, abusive, depressed, anxious world, you strapped on a towel and you served. You became the servant. And God, it does us Australians good to remember that. It does us, it does us good to remember that you are not one who ODs, who overdoses on authority and power and is just capricious and harsh, but you're a servant. The king of the universe became a servant and humbled himself. So we do offer to you ourselves as servants of yours. And would you teach us and lead us this week, those of us who are in difficult workplaces, would you teach us and lead us how to serve you this week? And God, I pray for all of us that you would just enlarge the vision of what your calling is for us in the workplaces that we work at. God, help us to see how lame a small vision is for our workplace. And help us to have a big vision that's way bigger than just putting food on the table. It's way bigger than putting a roof over our heads. God, would you just enlarge our calling so that we can see what you actually want us to get done. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Have a good day.